podcast intent for information on educational purposes only, not for the purpose of rendering medical advice. As always, information should be pulled from multiple credible sources. Cross reference wormlet your almost accurate hypothesis. Evans can support always seek the advice of a physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any question regarding a medical condition. <gasps> this is the actual PT podcast, where actual problems meet actual evidence, producing actual results. And your hosts, Troy Lind and Taylor Flocken. Hola, actual PT Nation. This is Taylor, along with uh, Troy. That's me. Yeah. And uh, we are here today to talk about a very special subject that Troy just took a lot of time and a lot of reading, a lot of hours. Yeah. He put in the man work for this man one. Man hours. He, uh, yeah. And uh, he is so excited to talk about all of it. Uh, what is it that we're talking about? Did you know cats spend 70% of their lives sleeping? 70%. 70% of their lives sleeping. Oh, I wish I was a cat. Wouldn't that be awesome? Oh, I love sleep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, indoor house cats, on average, share 95... It's either 92.5 or 95.2% of their genetic makeup as is the same as tigers. Did you know that? I did not know that, but... You did not or you did not? I did not. But did you know that indoor cats also, uh, their lifespans are on average about five years longer as compared to outdoor cats mm-hmm. wow i mean that makes sense yeah and i That's didn't not as fun and i don't have a list of cat facts in front of me uh I. <laughs> I googled oh. it <laughs> Before. Just, oh, you, oh you put it on yours yeah. I, that's yeah, yeah, what yeah. you were typing for a minute ago i see i see um, um anyways um, getting back to the topic at hand, and the sleep is a part of this topic it is, actually, a little bit. Yeah, a little um, bit. Uh, pain neuroscience education. Correct. Um, educate us. Educate you on the pains. Yeah. <laughs> educate. No, I'm telling Ow. you, educate it us hurts. on the pains. Ow, it hurts. That's is that the, what pain is? That's the education. Wow. <laughs> um, so, pain neuroscience education is basically a big fancy way of explaining this new. Rad, I would argue, radical idea of teaching our patients or clients, whatever, about pain. Literally, it's the approach of simply teaching people how Spain, how pain, Spain, how how, how, spam how spam works. works in the body, how pain works in the body, mm-hmm. and um, why you feel it the way you feel it. And I will tell you that. Um, I actually love that because um, it's a way to break down extraordinarily dense and complicated information. Pain science, uh, people, is it, it's it, a lot. It is a lot, and there is so much that is. It's just theory. Uh, that's you know, just kind of like in the theory phase. Doesn't yeah. um, you know? Isn't necessarily a fully established uh, fact, or in maybe theory is the wrong word here. A hypothesis. Yeah, we have uh, doctors that. Their entire job is being a pain specialist, MDs, mm-hmm. medical doctors. Their entire job is being a pain specialist where they just specialize on uh, pharmaceutical and non-pharmaceutical approaches to chronic pain, which is mm-hmm. shows how big of an issue it is in the population. Absolutely, absolutely. And it really kind of branches across so many different areas of human biology. Um, I I would say it mostly dabbles in neurology, study of the nervous system, particularly the central part of it. But um, I I would even say a little bit of orthopedically too. Oh, for sure. It's a lot of, yeah. I mean, orthopedic because 
um, there's this technically what what the in the literature what's coming up like in a lot of systematic reviews and stuff mm-hmm. like that. A lot of what's coming up is what's called P and E plus, mm-hmm. which is this process of P and E, which is just teaching the patient about it, uh, educating the patient on pain. But then the plus part is the movement. So that's yeah. where like the big that's a, a lot of the studies are showing that P and E on its own is really not that effective as a tool mm-hmm. um but peony plus so this education in combination with movement therapy mm-hmm. um is actually i think the one study demonstrated that it's beneficial to one in three wow. so a lot of the like comp- comparing that to other things like uh surgical management um mm-hmm. or medical me- the medical management model we like to call it helps one in 12 to one in 15 people i got you um physical therapy or physiotherapy on its own it helps one in six mm-hmm. people with orthopedic orthopedic issues in mm-hmm. general but peony plus helps one in three it is currently the best um the best tool that westernized medicine has at its at its uh disposal to decrease pain in the population general just generally speaking incredible um and would you say that, like that is uh, probably like the biggest part of you know the I guess like the big why about why it's uh, you know kind of such an important frontier within uh, medicine or uh, are there some other stuff too? Yeah, I mean I would say it is huge because we in the westernized uh, in Western medicine and in especially physical therapy in general mm-hmm. we are so spearheaded on. Uh, the pathoanatomical model yeah. that it's nauseating, and um, mm-hmm. and you know we'll get into some evidence here soon on that. But to me, the biggest part that it, the p- biggest piece of the puzzle that it kind of fills in mm-hmm. is that there's current currently a huge, huge lack of um, I don't want to I don't know what you want to call it, a lack of um, care or methods to mm-hmm. treat. The what we call yellow flags, mm-hmm. which are um, psychosocial uh, disorders or psychosocial behaviors, psychosocial precautions, you know, mm-hmm. uh, basically, you know, catastrophization of pain. Um, Whoa, you're talking about cats again? I'm talking about cats again. Wait, wait, Google 70% fact, of catastrophization? <laughs> basically, what I'm saying is people who, um, the people that you hear talk about, well, every time I go walk, my back hurts. Mm-hmm. Every time I do this, I'm in pain. Mm-hmm. The pain basically just takes over their lives. These are the, these are chronic pain. <laughs> there's the, the cat. cat. There's the cat. There's the cat. <laughs> <laughs> so basically the chronic pain patients that we're talking about, and this mm-hmm. is mostly for chronic pain patients, but I'll get into later why it's also important for acute, acute patients. Um, but in these chronic patients, they've had, I mean, how many people do you meet where it's like, and I know everyone knows this person, where it's like, they are their pain, where they mm-hmm. take pride in the fact that they've had two hip replacements, I've had a knee replacement, I've broken every bone in my body, I've had this surgery, I've had that surgery, like the scars are who they are. Like they right. take pride. I have a very close family friend that has had two shoulder two shoulder repairs a total knee two knee like five knee surgeries hip surgeries a shattered ankle and he takes pride in saying that every time he says oh the doctor said it's the worst one he's ever seen and look at me i'm so tough and strong and these are the patients we're talking about because we don't Mm -hmm. have any tools 
at our disposal for how to treat that. Right. How, how do I how do I treat the fact that you see yourself as pain? And if I took away your pain, if I was able to take away your pain, who are you now? It sounds. Like, I mean, it, it sounds like part of what you're saying is is that um, P and E kind of acts as a bridge um, yeah. between two different areas of medicine that really they don't get connected enough. Correct. Um, yep. you, you know, the bridge being physical therapy tends to be very physical, just that yeah. physical, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, especially if you are in like the pathoanatomic model, um, yep. trying to say, okay, X is weak. Therefore we need to strengthen. Oh, this person's tight here and this is causing a biomechanical issue up the chain. Oh, we need to correct that then. Yeah. It's it's taking, you know, that physical side and combining it with the emotional side, which has a direct link because emotions is part of your psyche, which that's created by your brain and brain's part of neurology and how you comprehend the world. Yeah. So, ex I mean, that's perfectly a way to say it. it's a bridge because oftentimes we'll see, pay I mean, there's always something, I mean, think about yourself, right? If you got in a car accident, for instance, this is, a, this is the best mm -hmm. example I remember from the courses. If you get in a car accident and now you need physical therapy because your neck hurts. Mm-hmm. What a lot of people forget is the yellow flags in the background. Like, well, now you don't have a car because right. you tow your car. So now mm. you don't have a way to get to work and now you have to deal with insurance. Are they going to pay for your rental or not? Some companies, mm. some insurance companies do if it's in the policy, some don't. So now you're worrying about paying the now new insurance plus the new car rental payment mm -hmm. plus the fact that you don't know if they're, if the other person that hit you has insurance. So now there's this huge financial stress on top of that. How am I going to get to work? Maybe mm. my kid got hurt and is in the hospital. Right. Now I'm having family issues. My husband's mad at me because I forgot to put on his the, my kid's seatbelt because I was in a hurry. My husband. Now I have family issues involved. I mean, there's so many layers to the mental or social side of things that physical therapists just can't just don't know how to address. Right. Or MDs for that matter. A lot of a lot of times we'll we're like oh we'll just refer out to a therapist right like that's right. our if there's things going on like maybe there was emotional trauma that happened right and they're having a lot of emotional baggage going on but we still need we as physical therapists just know how to address the physical nature of things and the psychiatrist might they know how to treat the mental aspect of things but there's never any connection. Of the right. dots. These are, mm -hmm. like you said, separate islands of thought, separate mm -hmm. islands of treatment. Separate islands of medicine. Of medicine. And P&E is the only thing currently at our disposal to bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is so, such a huge thing that we haven't had to this point. I mean, P&E has only been around for, I think, 20 years, 18 years, something like that. Yeah. And a lot of the evidence has just came in the last 10 to 15 no, I, I believe that. I mean, yeah. we, we kind of uh, talked about this with uh, BFR, uh, phenomenal uh, therapy, very promising. But um, I mean, you know, the body of research that we need Limited. to support it, um, especially for some of this. I would say that, you know, some of the stuff we talk about on this show, you know, it is more on the cutting edge of like physical therapy and treatment. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, we don't have huge double-blind systematic reviews or no. meta-analysis. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of our systematic reviews for P&E are coming out of other countries. Mm -hmm. Britain, Australia, South Africa, 
Almost all of our evidence is from there. Almost none is in the U.S., <laughs> which Sounds is right. hilarious. But Sounds like, right. but um, for instance, there's this huge uh, systematic review done, and I can't see. I can't remember if this one's Australia or South uh, uh, Africa. But basically, what they did was they did. This has become a huge thing, right? And mm-hmm. they they took it. They took P and E, just overall education on pain, mm-hmm. and how a lot of times uh, pain is common. Pain is a natural occurrence. Pain is a common thing, and basically, they started they started uh, broadcasting commercials with really well known athletes, really well known doctors in the area, mm. like top leading surgeons. Um, basically, they just made a bunch of these commercials, educating people on how pain is not an issue. Act, you should be active. Yeah, you should be moving. You should be going. You should be going to work. You should be exercising. Um, you should not be missing days of work because of back pain, uh, mm-hmm. shoulder pain, what what have you. Right. And they aired these over the course of, I think it was like three or six months. And for the next 10 years, they saw a statistically significant uh, decrease in overall healthcare spending as an entire country. That. Like region. That is substantial. Yeah. And like, like, like the entire region had less complications with healthcare. Well, and I think it's really useful, um, not only getting the docs, but also getting, you know, athletes, you know, people that we look up to for their physical prowess that Mm -hmm. these people also deal with pain. Yeah. Yeah. They they, they have have their ankle, you know, it hurts them every now and then. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, sometimes when they wake up in the middle of their work week, which is just training, um, yeah, they don't feel 100%. Something is not uh, all that great. and. That's a normal part of life. It doesn't mean that something's hurt. It doesn't mean that you're mm-hmm. disabled. It's just, oh, oh, this is uh, something going on today. Okay. Modi- well, we'll, we'll modify what we need to. Yeah, and look at um, one thing we say is when you go to the physical therapist, how many physical therapists do you think have back pain? <laughs> like 80%, I, 90%. There, there have been studies looking at that, yeah. Yeah, 80 90%. But then you look at... Um, then you look at claims of how many how many physical therapists have missed has have missed work because of their back pain, mm-hmm. and it's like one percent, right? So like 90 percent of your providers that you're going to mm-hmm. are experiencing pain, but only one or two percent are miss, ever missed because of it, right? And that's because we're simply well versed in this. We know that mobility, right, and moving is what is what. It's what's needed, right? And that pain is should not be a limiting factor. Pain does not mean I need to stop moving. Correct. And one systematic review that I looked up, so this was called the association between healthcare professionals, or I'm sorry, healthcare professional attitudes and beliefs, and the attitudes and beliefs, clinical management, and outcomes of patients with lower back pain. So this was a systematic review. This was by Darlo et al. Basically, it was a systematic review on lower back pain and Exactly that attitudes and beliefs of healthcare providers, and mm-hmm. so the biggest findings of this uh, the, of this can be summed up here, where it said there is moderate evidence that healthcare providers with a biomedical orientation or elevated fear avoidance beliefs are more likely to advise patients to limit work and physical activities, and are less likely to adhere to treatment guidelines. So basically, mm-hmm. what's this? What this is saying is that. The more strict of a biomedical approach, the healthcare provider, and this included uh, physiotherapists, chiropractors, mm-hmm. uh, kind of PCP, so just regular medical providers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was like the three, three groupings yeah. were those. 
And basically, the more a biophysical model they go, uh, basically just looking at anatomy, looking at biomechanics, mm-hmm. everything, the less they actually adhered to evidence. That is very, very interesting. Yeah. But, like, um, so essentially, kind of what it sounds like you're saying is, is that people who take a who take i guess like a more much more specific look at you know treatment and you know things going on with patients are more likely to actually become less evidence-based because of how they feel about that problem yes because so basically evidence is showing that one of the best things you can do as a therapist with your mm-hmm. with a chronic pain patient is to do a broad mm-hmm. thorough physical examination but you want it to be general and broad. The more you get into measurement angles, oh yeah. The more you get into pain scales, the mm-hmm. more you get into specific tests, mm-hmm. it's actually found to decrease outcomes of patients. And you know, I've I've heard that with uh, just pain in general, just literally bringing up a pain scale zero to ten, it it changes the way a patient looks at, it, or especially how often you bring it up. I think is yeah. even more important. Yeah. Like. You know, uh, you shouldn't be asking a patient after every seven exercise, hey, zero out of 10, what was your pain? Yeah, yeah, because it makes, it, it makes them hyper-focused on it. it way, too, way too alert about that. Um, mm-hmm. And then, for, well, furthermore on this uh, systematic review, it went on to say there is moderate evidence that healthcare providers' attitudes and beliefs, so basically just the, just the attitude and beliefs of that provider – that 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 it is associated with pa- the patient education and bed rest modifications or recommendations. So basically, just what you think, just the cam- we like to say like the camp that the that the provider lives in. Mm-hmm. If they are a biomedical model type of person, mm-hmm. or if they're an alternative care type of person, like mm-hmm. movement is good no matter what. Yeah, um, that that'll dictate the um, the amount of bed rest and the education provided, which mm-hmm. is regardless of. What stu- what evidence shows, mm-hmm. and then it goes on to say, which I find the most important, or the second most important, there is moderate evidence that healthcare provider fear avoidance beliefs are associated with reported sick leave prescription, and that a biomedical orientation is not associated with the number of sickness certificates issued for lower back pain. So basically, your diagnosis. And your biomedical orientation. So, what's actually wrong with you? Does mm-hmm. that is not the deciding factor of how much time you you miss from work? Mm-hmm. It's actually what your provider thinks dictates <laughs> how much time you miss from work. <laughs> Think about that for a second. And this is a systematic review. This is high level. Effort. Yeah, that that is, is what bizarre. that is what it's incredible. That is how important P and E is. Is because there's right. such a loss of understanding of pain in in Mm -hmm. the medical world because pain is seen as debilitation Mm -hmm. in in almost all healthcare providers but this directly shows that it doesn't what dictates how much time you miss from work is not what is wrong with you it's what your provider thinks is wrong with you (laughs) what your physical therapist thinks is wrong with you dictates how much work you miss what your primary care physician mm-hmm. thinks is wrong with you dictates how much work you miss and, and how much bed rest is you have. And <laughs> <laughs> so someone else's beliefs 
Your per- healthcare provider's beliefs are what's dictating how much you lay in bed and how much you miss work, not what's wrong with you. Which ideally should simply be minimal regardless. It should of- be zero. Mm-hmm. It, it should be flipped. Mm-hmm. Your biomedical orientation, which is what is actually wrong with you, mm-hmm. should be what's dictating your activity yeah. and your bed rest. <laughs> yeah. Not what I think of you. Right. What I feel like is mm-hmm. happening. Right. Isn't that just completely bizarre? I, and bass, bass it, backwards? It's bass backwards. It, but I feel like that's so many things with pain in general. It It does not work the way that I think most people... Um, feel that it does. I I actually did work with a um, a pain specialist, uh, MD, and it was interesting talking to him. He's, he said like probably like one of the biggest things you know that dictates that he's seen is people's attitudes toward pain. Because if a person is comfortable being uncomfortable, they're going to do night and day better than somebody who views pain as injurious, as something that's debilitating, as something that's disabling. Being comfortable being uncomfortable is it's a skill and yeah. it's and it's something that can be learned. Yeah, mm-hmm. so so PNE so the, like the the hallmark PNE thing that really gets everyone on board is there's this they do it's called a functional MRI. Basically they just, I think I brought this up before. They do the brain scan uh, bef- they basically they just take an image of your brain activity, brain activity during mm-hmm. a task. So they they took a chronic pain patient who had pain for like two years, mm-hmm. two years plus, and they took an image of their brain doing a, a something that caused lower back pain. I think it was like um, a core contraction or like mm-hmm. bending their back or something. Yeah, so a movement that caused them pain, and their brain lit up right like a Christmas tree. Right, and so. F- that's a whole nother thing. The pain neuro matrix was alive and well, which is like, we call it, it's a whole, we'll get into that during a, a chronic <laughs> pain episode. I don't want to go down there, but basically their brain lit up like a Christmas tree. And then they gave, so this was the original study. They gave two hours of pain neuroscience education, and then they re- re-imaged the brain immediately after. So all they did was talk to this person about their pain for two hours and they re-imaged them doing the exact same thing. And the brain was almost completely silent. Mm-hmm. There was almost no brain activity going on at all. And clinically, we were looking at this like, this is fine and dandy, but I can't apply this to my practice because I don't have two hours to sit there and talk to anybody. Yeah, because right. the United States hates helping people with regards to <laughs> healthcare, and they hate not making money. And insurance companies are the worst thing ever invented. Yeah. So well, how do I change this? So then they did the exact same thing with 20 minutes of pain education and it still had a drastic decrease in in mm. brain activity with regards to pain. Yeah. And that's simply educating someone on their pain. That's all you're doing. And and just so I'm I'm also understanding this too. So I understand that the um functional MRI showed that a person, you know, very little activity in regards to the I guess like the brainwave activity during that motion. Was the patients also, did they also appreciate a significant decrease in pain with the motion? They had a decrease in pain, uh, what is it, functional pain scale measures. So like, uh, I can't think oh. of the one we use all the time in PT. Oh, not oh, oh, the, oh, visual analog scale? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Basically, so, they, did, they did like a functional mm-hmm. uh, a patient uh, driven outcome measure mm-hmm. for pain, a pain scale. Yeah. And they rated it as less. Mm-hmm. Just following twenty minutes of education, okay, with yeah, the same movement. 
Yeah, yeah, and I, I guess I just wanted to uh, I wanted to clarify that point because you know if it's just because it's clear on MRI, you know, does that mean it really is uh, pain free for the person, or does that affect the person's um, perception of the uh, of the pain? Which yeah. uh, which sounds like it did, yeah. Well, and it's also been found. So there's there's so many studies I can't list them all off the top of my head, but so basically they're starting to do a bunch of studies with regards to joint replacement specifically, mm-hmm. and. One of them has been showing that just through PNE plus, mm-hmm. um, just like we talked about with BFR, how it increases satisfaction with uh, mm-hmm. surgical outcomes. Yeah, all pain, uh, all pain outcome measures and functional outcome measures tested drastically better following PNE with a replacement as without. Hmm. And that's hugely important because something that's even further. Uh, Another study that I find, like, I think it's just honestly kind of comical is that this one systematic review found that f- they, they basically took a bunch, like, uh, I think they took a couple hundred people of knee and hip replacements mm-hmm. and they compare and they broke them into groups, obviously, and they did PE and non PE. Mm-hmm. Basically, what they came to find out was that a third, one third of all knee and hip replacements are found to be unnecessary. Huh. A third. So basically what that means is, as I said earlier, your biomedical orientation is not what decides what's wrong with you. It's your, <laughs> or decides your, your plan of care, what occurs to you with yeah. regards to a plan of care. Mm-hmm. So basically because people with this, because surgeons have such a pathoanatomical model and they yeah. want to cut on everything because that's how they make money. Mm-hmm. A third of all people identified as surgical candidates are, in fact, not at all and don't need it done, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is just ridiculous. No, it really is remarkable. Uh, you know, I, I think you said that like last episode, you know, uh, with your uncle. Oh, my my knee yeah. is the worst he's, the worst ever, he's seen. ever seen. Bone on bone. bone. Yeah. It, yeah. Well, I... I I, w- I want everyone to know out there, if a surgeon ever says that to you, they have probably been saying that for 20 they're years. They, they, S-H-I-T. They're full yeah, of They're full of crap. They're full of poo. Yeah. They, yeah, it's, it, it's just to further solidify it in your mind that the surgery was necessary. It needed to happen to make you feel good about it. Well, there's, there's a bunch of, there's so many studies out there where mm-hmm. they take like hundreds of of collegiate and, and and professional basketball players and they do imaging I think we brought we've brought this up before they do imaging of their knees mm-hmm. or their hips or their back whatever you want it to be mm-hmm. and the Im- they're all asymptomatic neither none of them have pain they're all collegiate yeah. hot the best at what they do yeah and 90 to 95% of them had positive findings for degen- degenerative degenerative blah. degenerative degenerative changes. changes in the joints mm-hmm. so it's like you can find anything you want, but it does not correlate to pain. No. It, at all. Yeah. And not I, even a little bit. And I think uh well, and you can you can correct me on uh, this, you know, definition of pain itself, but pain is not a physical thing. No, pain it, you do not have a single pain fiber or pain receptor in the body. No. All you have is mechanical receptors, and pain is simply and this is a whole conversation for chronic pain, but Pain is simply your brain's perception of threat. Thanks for thanks for correcting after I gave the definition. Yeah. yeah. 
So it's all. It's <laughs> <laughs> correcting them, yeah. <laughs> or correcting me, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah after yeah, I got yeah. my definition out, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's all. It's yeah. all. Pain. So it's like what I like to tell people is if you're crossing the road and you roll your ankle, you just roll the living hell out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and you're on the ground, you're like. You're like crying. It hurts so bad, right? Yeah. But then you look up and you see a truck, a Mack truck barreling down towards you about to run run over. Are you about to get up and run or are you about to sit, lay there and cry? You're about to get up and take off. Your pain, mm-hmm. your ankle's not going to hurt at all. It's no. because your pain, your brain has now weighted the threat as being higher somewhere else. So you no mm-hmm. longer feel the quote unquote pain. Right. It's no longer painful. Right. Because it's not. Because it's no longer the threat. That's yeah. That's also why... When you stub your toe, it is like the worst pain you've ever felt in your life mm-hmm. for about 10 seconds. Yeah. And then it completely goes away because at first your body's like, oh my God, this is terrible. <laughs> but then it realizes that the threat is nothing, nil. And it yeah. immediately stops. Yeah. It was just a sudden, unexpected um, yeah. stimulus. Yeah. Which it yeah. is painful. There's no lie about that. Yeah. But as soon as it identifies that this is not actually an issue, this is not a threat, it's, it's gone. It's it's not harmful. As quick to as it tissue, came. It's not harmful tissue damage. It was a one off thing. Um, and your brain's probably also categorizing, oh, I need to pay attention whenever I'm around this uh, uh, corner. Yeah. And there's, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, there's a bunch of uh, different, there's a couple of clinic uh, case studies that showed. Like this one guy was walking. He was a he was a construction worker, um, super active guy. Always been working construction for years. He stepped on a nail that he didn't know was there, and he looked down and there was blood everywhere. And he was in ten out of ten pain, the worst pain he ever had. He was like thinking about amputation. Like it was screaming. Uh, immediately rushed to the hospital via ambulance. Mm-hmm. Like so much blood everywhere. They take his boot off, and it had actually gone between his toes. <laughs> it actually had just cut the skin, and there was actually no damage at all. He didn't even get stitches. They put a Band-Aid on him. And then he, his pain immediately went from 10 out of 10 to zero. Yeah. You know why? Because of perceived threat to the brain. The brain yeah. identified that as 10 out of 10 because it felt it thought mm-hmm. that the nail went through the middle of the foot when, in fact, it didn't cause any tissue damage at all, just a skin tear. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. And I, yeah, this is all a chronic pain conversation, but nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, shoot. I think that's good. I think, uh, yeah, uh, I think I, that's a good understanding I, of P&E overall. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a really, uh, real solid, uh, introduction as well as some concepts of pain. Um, and in some ways it is, it's so awesome. It's so helpful, but in other ways it just muddies the water so much. So much. It, it, it really, it makes you question like so much about like physical therapy, um, so much about, um, Western medicine under in current understandings yeah. of yeah, pain sure. yeah. and, uh, how healthcare works. Yeah. And another good uh, study I really liked was, a uh, uh, a little study that showed that I think it was half of all, rotator uh six quote-unquote successful rotator cuff uh rehab mm-hmm. so basically someone went for rotator cuff repair surgical repair mm-hmm. and um they went through therapy and they were deemed successful which means it was deemed that everything went well plan of care went well yeah and they are functional they functionally identify themselves as normal mm-hmm. back to normal half of them went through or they all went through this specific group population went through and got re-imaging, uh, re-MRI of the area, and half of them were demonstrated to have either a, a significant re-tear, if not a complete re-tear of the muscle. 
(laughs) (laughs) So what, like it's super um, overwhelming to a lot of healthcare providers when all this information comes up because they don't have any answer for it. And honestly, they get frustrated and like angry about it because all their understanding is pointed in this one direction. And when you bring out evidence to demonstrate that it's essentially, I don't want to call it a lie or BS because it's still, you're like, I just, I just told you mm-hmm. they were all quote unquote healed. Right. They were all quote unquote success stories. Yeah. So you did your job. Mm-hmm. You did a good job of getting them back. They, they are healthy. They identify They're themselves happy. as normal. They're happy. So you did your job. But in reality, you didn't do your job. <laughs> like it yeah. wasn't actually. It was you that did it. But in all reality, what 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 the entire thing, what the entire goal was, was actually not achieved at all. No. Which is hilarious because it's all neurologic. It's all central nervous system. It's all brain chemistry. It's all way more to our understanding than just I'm gonna I'm gonna sew this tissue back together and retrain it to function. It's so much fun. It's so it's, past that. And it also, I mean, this is a whole another episode too, but he, we, in the course, he spent like almost a week talking about placebo mm-hmm. and how the Western medicine has done everything it can to eliminate the placebo effect from being a thing. When in all actuality, why aren't we using it? One why in four studies are showing they're starting to now flip it and do placebo studies mm-hmm. before all of our research was about eliminating eliminating placebo as much as we can. Well, now they're doing studies on how to increase the the efficacy or how to use placebo. One in four people experiencing pain, it can be eliminated with just placebo. One in four. Twenty five percent. That's better. That's better outcomes than any surgery. Hmm. So aren't we yeah. using it? <laughs> you gotta utilize. I mean, the brain's a powerful tool. At the end of the day, yeah. and we can manipulate people yeah. and people can manipulate their own brain. And yeah, it's, it's you can a do tool. It, yeah. Like we're doing it like this, all this yeah. education I gave you, everything we just talked about, that's what we're doing. We're yeah. manipulating the brain. We're nip- manipulating the, the central nervous system. We're understanding how it works. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I feel like so many people when it comes to like uh, their consciousness and things like that, it, you know, they view it as, Oh, this is just me, but you, your brain and everything is just the result of all this input that you're taking in, how it organizes it. And there are ways to mess with it. There are ways to mess with that perception for better or worse. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I agree. I think it's uh, I mean, and our understanding of all this is just going to continue to go through the roof because it's so new, but mm-hmm. um, I've already seen huge implications with it just from the last, what, two months. Um, yeah. Two months I've been in, uh, implementing it in my practice. Yeah. That's huge, man. So uh, if you like this, stay tuned. Uh, we're going to do a chronic pain episode eventually, but that is, there's a lot to go there. I mean, there's, that's a big one. This is like a uh, global perspective on it. <laughs> yeah. And this yeah. is a 30 some minute episode. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, sh- give us uh, some likes, give yeah. us some uh, comments, uh, tell yeah. us what you think, and uh, we'll try to be a little more regular with episodes, hopefully. Hopefully we keep, hopefully we have power. Ho- do hopefully we have the power, literally. <laughs> literally the power. To uh, do some of this stuff. Hashtag mountain life. Mountain living. Hashtag mountain living. Mountain um, dew. 
Wreck this, and this brings us to our next sponsor, Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mountain Lightning, actually. Mountain- <laughs> <laughs> no, we were we're not good enough for Mountain Dew yet. <laughs> no, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like the the uh, Kirkland version of Mountain Dew. <laughs> yeah. Kirkland's high quality. That is good quality. I love Kirkland. All right, we're off the trail. Um, um always. Always Stay. classy, classy. Be, be actual. A, an actual PT. In the Na- nation. In Inside nation. of our nation. America. Yeah. 